This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show. As you all know, I am Matthew Rushing, just one of the hosts here, and with me my esteemed colleague Dan Gunther. Hi Matthew, uh, how's it going this evening? <laughs> well Dan, uh, and I don't know, I'm feeling kind of celebratory, and uh, any, any ideas why? Uh, well, um, Today, I know, is Remembrance Day in Canada, which I think is Veterans Day in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. That is true. That's one of the reasons my wife is a, is a veteran, and so uh, definitely a day to celebrate and remember. The other reason, actually, is, is that did you know next Tuesday is the third anniversary of Literary Treks? Wow. Uh, I hadn't realized it was coming up that fast. That's amazing. Uh Wow. Yeah. No, I didn't realize that. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. It, I, I was just looking at it the other day because I, I was trying to think back to myself how long, you know, I had been podcasting. And, and the fact that it's three years is crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, that's not the only anniversary in your life uh, falling right around this time, is it? You're correct, sir. Uh, I also got married a year ago. Um, as we were recording this, it was on Monday, which is November 9th. And so, yes, my wife and I are celebrating that. Uh, we're actually going to be doing it this coming weekend. Uh, last weekend, she had National Guard duty. And so, um, and luckily, we had planned what we were going to do for this coming weekend instead of the last weekend, or it would have gotten canceled. So, nice. we're very excited to, to get away for a little bit and to enjoy some time together. But, well, allow me to say congratulations and happy anniversary then for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, thank you so much. It's been a great year. Um, you know, my whole life changed and uh, it's amazing what's happened but very very thankful very grateful uh trying to say as humble as possible because you know it 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 definitely feels like more than i deserve so well with all that remembering <laughs> luckily <laughs> Dan, we don't have any news here in uh this show because there's just not really anything that's dropped and so I do want to remind people, though, of a couple of things, and uh, one of them is, Dan, what are some of the places that people can find us online if they'd like to get in touch with us? Well, Matthew, there's a number of ways that you can get in touch with us. Of course, uh, 
first of all is on our website, trek.fm slash contact. Uh, you'll, you'll find a form there that you can use to reach us. Uh, and on our webpage, you can also find a place to leave voicemail, which, you know, we would love to hear from you and uh, play your voicemail on the air. Uh, we're on Twitter at Trek FM and, of course, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And, of course, we've also got the Babel Conference, uh, and that's kind of our online discussion group on Facebook. Uh, and it's a listener-only discussion group. And you can find that by typing Babel into the search bar on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Uh, we also have the Goodreads group. Um, you can find that uh, at goodreads.com and ask to join our group there. Uh, it has all of the books we're currently reading and all the books that are coming up for future shows as well. And also, of course, great conversations happening about all of the books that we're doing and some of the others, just what you're reading and anything you'd like to share with us there. Well, those are all some amazing places to find us, and uh, I hope that you'll join us there. I think it's time that we jump into our feature this week, Dan, as we're about to talk about a little bit of Star Trek and Doctor Who. Well, Dan, when I was planning out uh, looking at things we wanted to cover before the end of the year came uh, about. Uh, we have been obviously plugging away at the Deep Space Nine relaunch and, and trying to make sure that we cover all of the books before uh, this year ends and Ascendance comes out. I realized I almost missed something, and that <laughs> was Assimilation Squared, but part two, because we have already covered part one in the series. And we did that back on Literary Treks number 105. So it's been a while. Uh, that episode was called, and now for something completely different. <laughs> so I hope you'll check that one out. And especially if you um, haven't listened to it before, definitely I think would be a good uh, opportunity to, to listen to that one first and then check this one out. So since we're going to be talking about the second part here, but Dan, um, you know, the first time that we talked, you hadn't watched a lot of Doctor Who, and this is not a Doctor Who podcast, but I do feel like it's a good opportunity to talk a little bit because I know that you've started to make your way through that show. Uh, tell everybody where you are in the show and how that's kind of changed your opinion a little bit now that you've gotten through some of that and you're kind of getting a few more of the references. Yeah, Matthew, uh, I've... I've been working my way through the modern Doctor Who. Uh, I watched a little bit of the old stuff, but, um, you know, as far as the new kind of uh, series is going, I'm on season three or series three since it's a British show. Uh, so right now I'm, I'm not quite up to the point where this comic takes place with the 11th Doctor, but I am on the 10th Doctor, David Tennant's Doctor. And man, Matthew, I, I have to say, I am really enjoying Doctor Who, and I'm kind of kicking myself for putting off watching it as long as I have. Uh, fans of the show will probably know the episode that I'm talking about here. I just watched Blink yesterday, and uh, wow, <laughs> that really shows you know how good this show can be. Uh, I, I just thought that was a phenomenal hour of television, uh, regardless of, of what show it was on. It was just a great hour of television that was incredible. So I'm really getting into Doctor Who and uh, yeah, definitely starting to better understand this universe we find ourselves kind of crossing over with in this story. 
Well, I'm glad that uh, you started watching the show and are really liking it. You know, I understand um, being one of those people who I should have gotten into this just a long time ago. And, you know, <laughs> I was in that same place uh, just a couple of years ago and, and really just dove in head first, raced mm-hmm. through it all so I could watch the 50th anniversary in the theater. And, oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I was watching like five or six episodes uh, sometimes a day just <laughs> it was ridiculous but um yeah it, it's such a fun show and i love the fact that we have the opportunity to uh, mix that in star trek you know there's a great article out where stephen moffat who runs the show right now talked about how he would love to do a star trek doctor who crossover so there's maybe a possibility somewhere down the line of it actually happening and i how cool would that be right that would be that would be incredible uh yeah i'm i'm totally you know i've i've been a trekkie for as long as i can rem- remember and uh you know with all due respect to doctor who fans because i understand i'm coming to this late and that kind of thing so i i was just talking to somebody the other day sometimes i feel like with regards to doctor who i'm like one of those fans that uh, has watched a season of Voyager and say, oh, I really like Star Trek. You know, I'm really into it. And I know I've only seen a tiny sliver of Doctor Who, but man, I am really liking it. And uh, yeah, the the sensibility of it, that sense of wonder and exploration and discovery really meshes with uh, what I feel Star Trek's about. So these are very complementary franchises, and I think that would be really incredible. Well, and and what was great about that is that there is a real shift here in this comic series to being more about Doctor Who than TNG in this volume. Uh, This is volume two, and so we're continuing on in the story, and there was quite a bit of TNG and even a brief interlude with TOS there, and so it had a little bit more of a Star Trek flavor, and this one really ramps up the doctor who ness if that's a thing <laughs> mm-hmm. and um so for you you know how did how did that work for you with just having a little bit more familiarity and you know obviously you haven't gotten to matt smith's doctor number 11 and amy and rory but did you feel like it was working better for you yeah definitely you know a greater familiar familiarity with uh doctor who in general really helped out here and I'm glad I have watched as much as I have before getting to the second half because, um, you know, they're still on the Enterprise and it's still very much, you know, a next generation story as well. But I really feel like the Doctor kind of takes charge of the situation here and really kind of leads the way and, and charts the course for what happens here. Uh, you know, convincing Picard to to take the actions he takes and that sort of thing. Um and yeah, that familiarity with Doctor Sh- Doctor Who is making me recognize a lot of elements from that show being played out in a really fun way here. Uh, you know, it, it, it follows a lot of the form that the Doctor Who stories take. And uh, Doctor Who fans probably know the, the phrase least awful choice, <laughs> which a lot of Doctor Who episodes seem to kind of end with. Uh, And that definitely makes an appearance in this story as well. So, you know, it was really, you know, both of them are a good meshing of the two franchises. But this one, if the first half was more TNG, this one's definitely just a little bit more Doctor Who. One of the coolest aspects in that for me 
was that whole part where Picard says, you know, I don't negotiate with the Borg. We don't negotiate with the Borg. And the doctor has to find a way to talk Picard into this. And it takes a couple of different people. It takes Picard. It takes the doctor. It takes Guinan. And then it takes Amy Pond all talking to Picard and helping him see, uh, you know, why they should help the Borg in this. Mm-hmm. And I love the line from the doctor that he says, we help our enemies because it makes us better than them. Right. It shows us why we are better than them. Uh, with it, We're the bigger people. But it also really, it, when he said that, it it reminded me of that kind of, of biblical principle of, you know, if, if 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 you're carrying the load one mile, carry it two, mm-hmm. you know, um, or, uh, you know, somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek or, right. you know, just that, that it that's what it means to be the bigger person is to not retaliate with uh, violence or vindictiveness, but to find a way to work together and forgive and or at least overcome, you know, to rise above. And that's one of the things that. Doctor Who does very well that in and it talks a lot about in in as especially as you'll progress through the story there. That's a very big part of who the Doctor is and who he's trying to become and from what he's come from with the Time War, and Picard understands that too because just think about all he's been through as Locutus and how much he was hurting. So these are both two wounded people. And it just happens to be that the doctor and Amy are kind of able to remind to remind Picard of that humanity, some of that that he kind of maybe lost a little bit because of what he went through as Locutus. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, these are the exact right words to use with Picard because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Doctor Who and Next Generation very much are built on that same kind of fundamental foundation of the goodness of humanity and the Federation and uh, yeah, being a bigger person than our enemies. And um, you know, like you said, that whole turn the cheek, turn the other cheek mentality is very much present in both shows. So, you know, it, it was exactly the right way to convince him to take the actions that he does here, even though, it's so against his instincts as far as as dealing with the Borg goes. And it's so cool because the conversation that Amy has with him about learning how to to trust the Doctor and that he is somebody that is trustworthy and, you know, that um, he, he does always come through and he keeps his promises and you know the doctor has been promising to help them and trying to help them overcome this issue that they have with the Borg and the Cybermen and all that's going on and I just it, it was such a great quiet scene you know and very TNG you mm-hmm. know to have somebody come into the ready room and talk to the captain but this time it's about helping the captain overcome something and not you know vice versa I just thought that was really cool and, and really doing a great job of respecting the terrible thing that Picard has been through. And I think I, I really like the way that he's written in this comic. I think it's very true to form of, especially when you take into account 
what we see in first contact and actually you know this is written with that in mind as well mm. so i i just i really really like that yeah there was a lot of care and attention given to picard's character in this i think uh and yeah like you said he he reacts exactly the way you would expect him to um you know the the just built in by this point fear and hatred of the borg uh you know really shows through and also just the wonderful character that is picard and his uh strength of character that allows him to overcome that and go along with this and place his trust in the doctor i thought just really rang true like this really it didn't feel forced it didn't feel like anything was kind of manipulated in a way that felt uh incorrect this felt exactly like i was watching patrick stewart play this on the television screen well and what was so cool is that it was it wasn't just that amy was uh talking him into trusting the doctor and that was it Mm. but then picard goes to the doctor and then the doctor takes him you know which so cool picard in the tardis (laughs) i mean that's just a great scene Uh, it's a great visual yeah you know in there talking about how it's bigger on the inside just like everybody else and (laughs) how does this work and that was wonderful because you know you don't really get the tng characters specifically to be wonder you know all struck with wonder and things so Mm. yeah that was a lot of fun and but then the doctor shows him the future which you can do in the tardis and what will happen if they don't stop the cybermen and they don't help the Borg. And I love that because the Doctor's very good at that. Let me show you the future. And he can show you the future because he can travel through space and time in a TARDIS. And it's it really was a wonderful thing. Because once Picard takes that step, the Doctor can actually show him concrete evidence. Which is such a, you know, a very Star Trek thing to need. Uh, Mm -hmm. You don't take things much on faith unless you're in Deep Space Nine. Uh, And (laughs) so um, it was, it just fits so well within the mold. Okay, we have the concrete evidence. We know what's going to happen if we don't stop in the same way that in first contact. If we've seen what happens if we don't stop the Borg because all of Earth is taken over by the Borg, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to go back in time to stop them. And this is very similar to that. But it never feels like a ripoff of like first contact or anything because of the fact that they've added in the Doctor. And you could do all those things without having to explain, you know, tachyon emissions and yada, yada, <laughs> yada. Yeah. No, and, and this whole sequence of showing Picard you know, the future, if, if things continue on the way they, they're going here, uh, you know, and the Klingons and the Vulcans get taken over. And, uh, and also the fact that the planet Raxacoricophalopatorius exists in the Star Trek universe and, and, yes. <laughs> and the Jadoon. I thought that was so great. And also, you know, nailed saying that on the first try, just going to say that there, <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, that was, um, that whole sequence was just incredible and showing that, you know, earth was kind of this last holdout, but even they too will fall and, uh, you know, something has to be done. So, you know, if that's not going to convince Picard, nothing will. Well, and you know, I, I do think too, that it is that seeing that and then the challenge from the doctor of saying, we help 
our enemies because it makes us better than them. It mm. shows us that we we know a better way. And yeah, again, that's so, so Star Trek. So um, there were some other fun bits in there, especially too, what was really interesting is you know, the TARDIS at Wolf 359, <laughs> which was, that was a cool scene Definitely. and crazy. Uh, the fact that they're running around on Lucutus's ship because what they realize is that they need the, um, in, in computer terms, they need the executive library for the Borg, which is what the Cybermen have been able to crack, which has allowed them to control the Borg and take away uh, their Borgness and, and just make them complete slaves for serving the Cybermen. Mm -hmm. And so they need a, a fresh download of that, basically, so that they can upload that back into the Borg and um, free them from the Cybermen control. And I don't know why they chose Wolf 359 to go back. It seems like <laughs> you could just go to any innocuous Borg ship at any time, pretty much. And, and, but but it's it was cool. a really yeah <laughs> exactly yeah but it also gave this cool moment for the doctor to be able to say no this is why you know like Picard can't come there there's no need for a man to relive this in the same way that the doctor doesn't want to relive what he did with the time war there's no way Picard needs to relive the day that he was Locutus mm -hmm. yeah and I mean you know the depth of character that is the doctor uh, you know, when he's looking at Locutus there with the pawns and, uh, I think it's Rory is asking how many lives, uh, were lost. And he says 11,000 and we can't do anything. Like we can't change that. It's a fixed moment in time, you know, or fixed point in time. We can't do anything to disrupt this. And you can tell just the, the anguish on his face as he says that, uh, Really incredible, really great artwork for moments like that. And uh, the Doctor's character, even though I don't know the Matt Smith Doctor, just what I've seen of the Doctor in general just really shows through there. And uh, it was a really touching moment for sure. Well, and that's one of the cool things is that, you know, Rory and Amy, I think, are used to some great effect to be able to make those comments and then have that explained. Because, you know, like all things... Maybe there's a Star Trek fan who hadn't seen Best of Both Worlds, and this comic does not shy away from allowing the audience to know everything it needs to know about what happened so they get the full effect of the story. Mm -hmm. And I like that. You know, um, it's it's something that I think maybe some fans might bristle at, but, you know, we have to remember that there are always people that are coming in fresh and, you know, they may pick this up and they need it explained to them. And, you know, Rory and Amy give you the opportunity to do that. But also even just the scenes where Picard is telling the story about what happened to him at Wolf 359, uh, the artwork there is great and it's haunting and, and the way that they're able to tell the story gives even more of Picard's tortured perspective on what happened and mm -hmm. how that still really bothers him. So, you know, I think it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, regarding the, you know, some people kind of not liking the recapping, I think, you know, sometimes, uh, it's not done very well 
uh, in books or, 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 you know, other tie in media where it's just kind of just a rehash of what we've gotten before. This feels very different to me. This feels very unique because of the perspective that, uh, it's being seen through. Uh, first of all, they're actually going back to the point and witnessing it, which is, you know, kind of something a little more unique. And plus, like I was talking about that emotional element to it really adds something because when we're watching it happen on TV, you know, the horror is there and you can put yourself in Picard's place and imagine the anguish he must be going through. But to see that physically reflected on someone watching that play out, I think was just really, really effective. And it it just lends an entirely new mirror through which to look at this scene or it, it you know, looking at it through a different prism. It just adds something really unique to it, I found. Well, and that's... Uh... You know, I think, you know, when you're going to do a story like this and you're going to be referencing those things, I think that's the reason to do it. You know, you can add some things in that are really helpful. Um, and uh, one of the random kind of fun things was is that they went back to that planet that they had been in the first issue, uh, the mining planet where the Federation has been um, working with the natives um, on Naya 7 and... They need gold because, <laughs> as we all know, Cybermen have a weakness with gold and it causes them to shut down for some unknown reason. And that paid off, too. You know, they, they did that on purpose in the first uh, volume so that in this volume they could they go back there. And one of the fun things was is having the doctor kind of talk these aliens into helping them about how great it would be, uh, how it would look to the Federation and everybody around them. And, you know... Uh, playing on that more materialistic sense that that planet still has to do the right thing. And I thought that that was really fun, you know, and honestly it was one of those points in the story too, is like the doctor is the only one who knows how to talk to these people to get what he wants. Cause that's kind of what the doctor does in general. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I do have to say I was a little bit, you know, they kind of hand wave it away that, oh, we can't replicate enough gold fast enough, but we can mine it fast enough going. OK, <laughs> doesn't really make sense to me, but I'll buy it. <laughs> it just when they mine it, it just comes out in wonderful bricks. Oh, so, perfect. you know, yeah, I, yeah <laughs> I, anyway, um, but it was a, it was fun to, to, to go back there and to have that storyline kind of pay off and. Yeah, I mean, it gives them the opportunity to be able to release, uh, you know, gold mist on the <laughs> Cybermen and have it take over. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing better than that. So <laughs> Definitely. Passing Ferengi ship goes, hey, wait a minute. What's going yeah, on over whoa, there? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Gather that up. Uh, put that around some latinum. <laughs> One of the interesting things, too, and the kind of the fun bits here was the fact that, you know, the the Borg and the Enterprise make a deal saying we can help you, you know, get your civilization back as the Borg if you'll help us. And so they send a representative over who happens to be somebody that Riker knew that was assimilated. And so that causes some tension and it's in there a little bit. It doesn't play a huge part, but the most interesting thing was, is that of course that board drone and, and it, it kind of plays out like Scorpion does with seven of nine. Mm -hmm. 
uh, being sent to Voyager to help out. You know, this Borg drone helps them out. And they upgrade the Enterprise, and it's just not quite fast enough to catch up with the Amada still. And so, again, it really plays in having the Doctor and the TARDIS. That ship is ridiculously fast and can get anywhere very, very, very quickly. So I, I just love the way that they use all the pieces that they've put on the puzzle board here, mm-hmm. and they use the Doctor Who characters to full effect in the Star Trek universe to just do things that aren't possible in the Star Trek universe, but aren't for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one thing that struck me, uh, kind of going back to Riker's friend who has been assimilated here, that to me, I think, really showed one of the strengths of the Borg, um, you know, as as chilling... I should say one of the strengths of the Borg as a, a literary device or a, as a as a force in a in a work of fiction, you know the Cybermen. You know they're pretty scary and they're very uniform and and that idea of everything the same is is pretty scary. But the Borg literally wear the face of the people they've assimilated, and so your friend is there right in front of you, but is your enemy or is your potential enemy and that to me, I thought that was very cool that that was used to great effect here uh, to just really show how horrific the Borg are and how very troubling this whole thing must be to the Enterprise crew, especially Picard and now Riker in this situation. Well, and that's the thing that's so different between them and the Cybermen. You know, the Cybermen mm-hmm. put that helmet over you so you don't know who they used to be and they really are an automaton. And you know, you get the the Borg and you can still tell, for the most part, so many times who they used to be, but they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really did like that in the story. And it added an element back to the fact, you know, Picard could be saved because he hadn't been with the collective for very long, but you really can't do that to everyone. You mm-hmm. know, other people that they're, there's just a time when, you know, they aren't somebody you can save. Mm-hmm. And um I don't I don't know how that works with Voyager and Seven of Nine. Uh, since they apparently they were to save her and she was a kid when she became a Borg, so maybe that doesn't <laughs> I don't know. The rules just seem to be all over the place. Well, but she, she same was time as a main character, so <laughs> that's true. And at the same time I will say this character in the end attacks them. And tries to take over the TARDIS, which was kind of a fun scene, too, when the heart of the TARDIS resides in Data for a while. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty cool, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as as that Borg is trying to assimilate the TARDIS, the heart of the TARDIS escapes into Data. And then that power, along with Data's power... To start to rip apart that Borg. And then I love that Worf and Rory team up to throw him out of the TARDIS into the time vortex. That was awesome. <laughs> that little <laughs> that little look they share. <laughs> sideways glance like, uh-huh. I, I just absolutely yeah. love that. <laughs> I don't know what it was exactly about how they captured Michael Dorn's face here, but it's it's just perfect. I love that look, and then yeah, and then tackling him and tossing him out. Uh, that was a well, really it cool is scene. really cool. <laughs> um, well, one of the there's this interesting thing in this story, and 
negotiating with the Borg and helping them out. And, you know, when you think back to Scorpion and, and what Janeway does there with negotiating the Borg, and this kind of gives us the answer of, you know, what would Picard do if he was in Janeway's position? When you're looking at it and thinking about it as a fan, do you also think that Picard would make this decision in this situation? Did they give you enough to make it feel like, okay, Picard would do this? Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where if they had jumped to Picard doing that too quickly, I would have definitely had a problem with it. But the way it's written here and, and kind of like how we talked about bringing him around to that decision, I think was done with enough care and deliberation uh, that to me, uh, I, I was able to go along with that. I was a, it was able to convince me that, yes, this is what Picard would have done. Um, he seeing the, the possible futures and just the kind of person Picard deep down is, uh, he would have come to this place. Uh, and, you know, I really think this this story took the time to show that, uh, which was very, very important because that's it's something that's just on the edge of believability that uh, if they'd have done it, done it the wrong way, I would never have bought that. So, uh, yeah, I would say they definitely did a good job on that part. I think so, too. And, uh, you know, they do stretch it out for pretty much a whole issue is really spent with taking the Picard that would say no and bringing him around to the Picard who will say yes. Mm. Very smart. Very smart. Especially with what we know of Picard after this whole incident with Wolf 359. And then, of course, you know, he still has and harbors these feelings all the way to first contact. So we know it's not something that truly goes away even with this experience. So I really do like that it's because of the influence of the Doctor and Amy giving him this different perspective that allows him to do this this once, you know. Mm. Um, and at the same time, it also helps explain maybe why Picard does what he does with Hugh later on in The Next Generation too. So mm. I, I really do think, you know, it, it's a nice building point. Um and uh, it works very well. And in the end, I, I end up really enjoying this series. So what did you think about the way that they end it with the Borg talking about the need to master time travel <laughs> so that they can find this Time Lord and defeat him? Yeah, I thought that was that was really clever, of course, right at the end. I'm I'm assuming, of course, they're they're tying this into first contact. So this is yeah. where they, they discover how to do that temporal vortex, which, you know, coincidentally looks a lot like the way the TARDIS travels through space and time. So <laughs> I thought, you know, after I read that and really thought about it and thought of some of the visuals from first contact, I was like, that's pretty brilliant. Like, you know, a lot of things kind of lined up and worked out for them that they, they meshed there. But, uh, you know, part of me wants to dismiss it as, oh, okay, that's kind of silly. But another part of me is going, that's pretty clever. I would never have thought of that. Well done. That's pretty yeah. awesome. <laughs> and no, you're you're right. And it really 
it, it feels like that the creators of this comic thought long and hard about all the things that they wanted to do and okay how do we make this work and how do we make this feel right and it just it just fits and it makes it so much fun to do and to read because you really can picture this happening the this star trek crossing over with doctor who and affecting the tng crew in this way mm-hmm. i just i really really like it um yeah Anything else throughout this volume that uh, really stood out to you that you either really liked or maybe didn't work at all? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about this last time, but um, for the most part, I really enjoyed the artwork, uh, with the exception of just kind of random frames here and there that looked really off. But then you come to another part and they've gotten somebody's facial expressions just perfect. <laughs> and, you know, all's, all is suddenly forgiven. Because, um, like, just kind of glancing at it right now, <laughs> this is this is such a tiny little thing. But when Amy Pond is waving by out of the TARDIS and this little cute smile and finger wave that Picard's giving, I don't know why. I just love that so much. <laughs> I think that's really great. You you don't you don't picture Picard giving you know <laughs> the Picard finger wave yeah, to a little, lot of people. The little spirit fingers wave goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't know why. I just thought that was adorable. <laughs> it is really funny. <laughs> the Picard finger wave. <laughs> Forget the Picard maneuver. Now we've got the Picard finger wave. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, um generally I really, really liked this. Uh you know, I hate to kind of keep going back and, and bashing Star Trek Planet of the Apes, but You know, that was a crossover that was really kind of set apart from the rest of the Star Trek universe and the Planet of the Apes universe. It just kind of existed in its own little thing. Whereas this one, you know, especially with this revelation at the end that ties in so well with what happens later, this really does feel like uh, this was just a missing episode that we didn't see. And I can easily fit this into kind of my personal continuity of Star Trek TNG and say, oh, this probably happened in, you know, season five or six or whatever. And uh, it really, really works for me. I I found myself grinning much of the time reading this just because it was so much fun. So definitely an A plus for me. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you, you know. Um, I feel like... This is just a fantastic storyline. It's so much fun. It it you know tickles me pink just with the Star Trek elements and the Doctor Who elements, and it's getting them all right. And they're just it's it's brilliant. It's got my favorite companions in it. The the pawns. I love Rory and I, Amy is my absolute favorite. So all of this together is is everything. That I kind of honestly would have hoped it would be when I first heard that there's a Star Trek Doctor Who crossover. Uh, so I got to say, this is five finger waves. So. <laughs> Perfect. I got to say, this is five out of five Heart of the TARDIS uh, inhabited datas. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I, I love when we get to just talk about fun stuff like this, you know, and I... This is just such an enjoyable experience, you know, reading. And I hope everybody will go pick these up. 
Volume 1 and Volume 2, so worth your time, so much fun, and definitely something that, you know, we were supposed to do this a couple weeks ago, and we weren't able to do it then, and we're doing it now, so I actually have read this three times now, (laughs) and... I am not sad that I've read them any of those times. Mm-hmm. So that just says a lot for how great I think that both of these volumes are. Yeah, and and also having to read it again, you know, sh- so soon after having already read it, you pick out so many more things that you didn't the first time, which I thought was a really rewarding experience. This was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see more things like this. And, you know, I, I kind of you know, deep down really hope Moffat gets his way with the, with that because how cool would that be? Yeah, it would be awesome. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, goodness. Man, I'm just kind of thinking about it right now. And, you know, they have the new Star Trek series coming in 2017. Perfect time to cross over with some Doctor Who somehow. Mm-hmm. should happen. <laughs> they would be, you know, two of the biggest sci-fi properties on uh, on the air at the time. So let's do there it. There you go. Yeah, make it happen. <laughs> make it so. Make it so. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, so glad we got a chance to talk about these. Uh, you know, we are all over the place as Trek FM. You can find us at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. And of course, we're on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file at our website and also grab the RSS link as well. And while you're there at Apple, uh, hit us up with a, a review and a rating. We'd love to have that. It really helps us out and continues to help the show grow and find a bigger audience as well as hitting that subscribe button. would love to thank, um, because these people are so important to this show and helping it come to you each week, Will Win, Brandon Shamatula. Ken Tripp and Bruce Gibson, all of these guys through Patreon are our associate producers. We appreciate them so much. They go to patreon.com slash trekfm and they saw how they could sign up and support the network. Now, we're a listener-supported network, and that means that we are able to keep this content coming to you because of the support we get from listeners just like you. And so we love giving back to you. Christopher Jones, our creator, has given us a brand new place for the patrons at patron.zone. It's such a fun place. You can get the shows early. You can also get exclusive content. There's a lot of great stuff there, and there's really some embarrassing fun things that we do behind the scenes that only (laughs) you guys will get to see if you're a patron. So check us out at patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become a part of our team. Now, Dan, when you're not hanging around waiting for the TARDIS to return on the Enterprise uh, because you're really excited about riding around with the Doctor, where can we find you? Well, Matthew, uh, you can find me online at www.treklet.com, and that's my website where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. Uh, I'm on facebook.com slash trekletreviews. On Twitter, at Treklet Reviews and at Kurtrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And on Instagram, Kurtrats47 is my username there. And uh, Matthew, when you're not negotiating to get your hands on tons and tons of gold, for purely altruistic purposes, of course. Uh, of course, of course, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. <laughs> well, when you're not doing that, wink, wink, uh, where can we find you? <laughs> 
you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You, you can also find me on Instagram at MRushing, where you can also find Trek FM now, which is just under Trek FM. You can find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And then you can find me on the 602 Club, where we talk about all things geeky. In fact, recently just got a chance to wrap up the Craig Bonds when we talked about Spectre. So that was so much fun with John Champion there from Mission Log and Norman Lau from Warp 5. So check that out. I got my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.